0: and they'll give you a piece of paper and a pencil. All right. Go ahead and head back that way. I see somebody there and somebody there. Now, kids, listen up. I'm going to tell you what you need to, to draw on your papers. We're going to begin this series about the stories of Jesus. And so I want you to think back to some of your Sunday school lessons and I just want you to draw me a picture of, of your favorite story of Jesus. It can be any one that you want. It can be the good Samaritan, it can be the Prodigal Son. But you draw me a picture of your favorite story of Jesus, show it to me after the service and I have got my handy dandy candy box here. And now you're going to draw a picture now Terry. It better be a really good one. We're going to be in Matthew 13 this morning, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, your phones to your Bible app to that passage. I think I'm going to move this microphone, otherwise, I'm going to end up tripping. We all love a good story, don't we? There's something about a good story that touches the heart. Whether it's once upon a time, or my personal favorite, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a good story has the power to do something that mere facts and information do not. I mean, what is it that that children say to us? We ran out of pencils and paper. Sarah, can you help us out here? Just, just go with her. She'll, she'll get you fixed up. Children don't say, Dad, tell me some facts. Mom, read me some information. When my girls were growing up, never once did they bring me an information, an instruction manual. Daddy, read this. No. Now, I read Go Dogs Go. More times than I could count. But no, kids say, tell me a story. And we tell them stories. Not just to, to entertain them, but to, to change their minds, to shape their hearts. In fact, Children's Sunday School is built around the idea that telling children... Certain stories from a certain source with a certain conviction will shape their lives in a certain way. But stories aren't just for kids. Adults are captured by a captivating tale. From Homer to J.K. Rowling, great storytellers have been capturing hearts and minds for thousands of years. In fact, before written language, before the advent of the printing press, many cultures, they passed on their values and their traditions through the telling of stories. And with the written word, stories and storytellers just simply became a part of the culture itself. Think of, of people like Mark Twain or Will Rogers or Garrison Keillor. And today... Stories aren't just limited to the spoken word or the written word. We have them projected on giant screens in HD, 3D, digital color and 7.1 surround sound. And these stories cost millions of dollars to make. Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy cost a record six hundred and twenty three million dollars, just about a $3 $3 more than it costs Tolkien to write The Hobbit, I think. And the computer age has now brought us this ability to, to, to put you right in the middle of this same quality of a story. I was talking to, to Zach last week, uh, last Sunday night, we were talking about Fallout 4. It's an epic computer game. And it places you, the player, in the middle of this engaging tale about a father looking for his kidnapped son. But even with all of our technology and special effects, it still takes a good storyteller. I mean, images and effects can fascinate the eye, but they don't capture the heart. George Lucas of Star Wars fame said, a special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. Cameras and lights don't create a character. Only a finely honed plot and a well-crafted story can do that. And a good story moves you to reevaluate the world and your place in it. A good story changes the world because it changes you. you think about it. Whenever a movie comes out that's based on a popular book, what is it that people always say? Well, was the movie any good? Was it it as as good as the book? And people always say, well, it was good, but it wasn't as good as the book. Why? Well, because in the book, the, the, the power of the story rests entirely in the hands of the storyteller, not the interpretation of directors or actors. And a picture may be worth a thousand words, but but words allow your mind to create pictures all of its own. The words of a good story have the greatest special effect of all, your imagination. Now when it comes to storytellers, Jesus is one of the greatest of all time. And if you go through the Gospels, a full one-third of all of the teaching we have from Jesus are stories. They're a particular kind of story. They're called the parables. And the parables of Jesus are among the best known and most influential stories that have ever been told. Even people who who know nothing about Jesus are still familiar with concepts like the idea of a Good Samaritan. I mean, everybody knows what a Good Samaritan is. Even if they couldn't tell you anything about Jesus. They know a Good Samaritan is somebody that is kind to strangers and helps out strangers. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I mean, we can hardly imagine our faith without certain images like this one the image of a father rushing out to welcome home his returning prodigal son. It's very likely that many of you here this morning grew to love the Scriptures. Because of the stories of Jesus. Maybe you even came to follow Jesus because of one of His stories. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And I fully expect that as we take a fresh look at them, that you will find them as engaging as you did when you were a kid in Sunday school, that you will find them as powerful as you did when you were still dripping wet from the waters of the baptistry. And I pray that for some of you, these parables may move you to a first love. A first love for the Bible as God's Word to us. A first love for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now the word parable simply means to place alongside of. To take one thing and place it alongside of another thing. And what a parable does is it takes an unknown thing and compares it to a known thing. It has been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But I think my favorite definition of a parable is simply this. A parable is a fictional story that tells the truth. Think about that fictional story that tells the truth. See, Jesus would take this, this abstract spiritual truth, something that was a bit mysterious, hard to understand, and, and He would put it in terms of a down-to-earth story that listeners could identify with in a very practical way. And these weren't just stories to entertain, but they were powerful metaphors that were woven into a story that changed lives. And for some of his listeners, these stories were like turning on a spiritual light. But for others of the listeners, the stories actually put them in a fog of confusion. They awaken the hearts of some, but they perplex the minds of others. Jesus' stories were enlightening and subversive. They have been called both works of art and weapons of conflict. They delighted some, but offended others. But without a doubt, the parables of Jesus had a powerful impact on everyone who heard them. And the crowd said that Jesus taught like no one else they'd ever heard before. You see, Jesus would be walking along with his disciples along the seashore. Or along the countryside. And as he's talking to the people They would ask him questions and he would use common, everyday things to teach this profound spiritual truth. And so somebody would say, well, what is the kingdom of heaven like? And he would say, well, the kingdom of heaven is is like a net or the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. Who went to plant seed in his field. And I imagine that that even as he told that story, there was probably a farmer on the hillside across the way. who who was sowing seed. And people understood that. They saw it every day. And after thinking about it, they, they thought, you know what? I understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would use these common things like a coin, like a wedding, like a sheep, to teach uncommon things like repentant prayer. An unconditional love. Everyday things to teach the eternal. Now many of the parables were told an answer to a question. Jesus uh, would be asked questions. And instead of giving direct answers, Jesus would tell a story. Thus forcing whoever asked the question to search the story for their answer. Now why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus teach in parables? Why did he tell these stories? Well, we're not the first people to ask that question. In fact, his own disciples asked him this question and he answered them. So look at our text in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 13. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. From this passage, from, from Jesus' own lips, he gives us two purposes of the parables. One to conceal the truth, two to reveal the truth. Well, that sounds like a head scratcher, doesn't it? Wait a minute, isn't that contradictory? How how can the same story at the same time conceal the truth and reveal it? Well, which purpose a story served? depended entirely on the one listening to the story. You see, the hearer's own attitude determined the purpose of the parable in their life. So in that same parable, Jesus could be revealing the truth to some while concealing it from others. And each purpose was directed toward a separate audience. So what I want to do this morning is just look at those purposes and maybe we can decide which audience we are in this morning. And the first thing is this, parables conceal the truth. Jesus makes it very clear in our passage that, that the secrets of the kingdom were given to some, but not the others. And this brings to mind a very important question. Why would Jesus hide the truth? Wouldn't He want everyone to know? Why would He conceal it? I mean, that doesn't sound really loving or fair. Look at it this way. Jesus wasn't hiding the truth, but he was putting it where only those who really wanted it could find it. You ever taken your kids when they were really little to an Easter egg hunt? Maybe your grandkids. Easter egg hunts for little kids just crack me up. Because the eggs aren't even hidden. They're just kind of strewn out there on the ground, you know? And as an adult, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, give me five seconds and I'll have 300 pieces of candy. And so it's not a matter of who can find the eggs the fastest. It's a matter of who can pick them up, put them in their basket the fastest. And I remember several years ago, the church I was at, we were having an Easter egg hunt for the kids of the neighborhood. And and on one side of the church, we'd set up the little kid Easter egg hunt. And there's this little girl, and, and she's picking up those eggs and putting them in her basket just as fast as she can. And right behind her was this little boy who was taking them out of the basket just as fast as she was putting them in. But that's not how Jesus dispenses the truth, where he just throws it out there where anybody can grab it. Why wouldn't he do that? Well, the truth is only revealed to those who really want to know it. Only the soil that is ready to receive can the seed find the nutrients it needs to take root and grow and bear fruit. But to those hearts that were hostile to the truth, that were rebellious, that had no love for the things of God, to them the truth is hidden. Because Jesus knew the truth would only be abused in their hands. They would twist it and pervert it toward their own ends. It's what they had done with the law in the Old Testament, it's what they had done with the prophets. And so you don't give your treasures to thieves. You don't cast your pearls before swine. Jesus was not being unloving or unfair by deciding who could know the truth and who couldn't. He was protecting the truth from those who had already proven that they had no love for the truth. They had rejected the truth they had already been given. They had rebelled against what they already knew to be true. And this is why Jesus said, Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, let me give you a couple of real life examples of this from Scripture, of where this actually plays out. we am going to go all the way back to, to Exodus and the story of Moses and Pharaoh. Exodus 7, 8, and 9. you remember the story? God sends Moses to be his spokesperson before Pharaoh to ask him, Let my people go. And he gives Moses a series of miraculous signs and they go through the ten plagues all in order to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Let me just take you through a quick sequence here. Exodus 7.13 Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Exodus 7.22 But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Exodus 8:15. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Exodus 8:19. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Exodus 8:32. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So do you see the pattern here? Every time God did something or through Moses and Aaron did something to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, his heart was hard. He hardened his heart. No, not going to do it. And then we get to Exodus 9, verse 12, and it reads, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. All of these times Pharaoh hardened his heart and finally God says, fine, Pharaoh, if that's the way you want it, you lose your right to choose. Your life is now mine. I will use it as I see fit. Because you have made your choice. A similar thing happened to the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. This is the very passage of Scripture Jesus quotes from. To explain why he uses parables. As he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. But God wasn't being cold and cruel to his people by keeping the truth from them. If you read through the first five chapters of Isaiah, you'll see how Israel had refused, rejected, and rebelled against all the truth that God had given them. And they had made it plain. They had no love for the truth. And so now even what they had would be taken from them. This process, this hardening of the heart, This isn't unique to Pharaoh. It's not unique to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. This is something that can happen in your heart, in my heart, right now this morning. And we must be on guard against it. This is why the Bible can be fresh and alive and exciting and so full of insights for one reader. Yet boring and dull and meaningless. For another reader. For those of you sitting here this morning, this problem presents itself in one of two ways. First, there are those of you that that are here this morning, but you have never made that commitment to follow Jesus, to believe in Him, to place your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior. You've been coming to church. You've been listening to the sermons, maybe singing the songs. Perhaps you've even been reading your Bible from time to time. But you're like the person who keeps coming up to the fence to see what's on the other side of the fence. And you're intrigued by what's on the other side of the fence, but you're kind of intimidated by it. And and so you haven't yet crossed over. You know, and as a pastor and as a church, we're more than happy to have have people. The, the term that, that's so often used today is seeker. Seekers to come and check us out and, and those that are searching for the truth and exploring faith in the Bible. Come check us out, see what's going on. But the idea of being a seeker is that you are actually seeking Looking for something. And you can only come up to the fence so many times without making a decision. It's kind of like you get an idea that you want to buy a new car. You know, and you go by the car dealer and you go look at that that new car, that new truck. And you, you read the articles online. You read the reviews. You check it out. And... You go to that dealership so many times to check it out. You're either going to buy the car or you're going to quit going. You're going to decide not now. And the danger is that you come up so much that one day you're just going to walk away and not come back. You had so many opportunities to respond to God's truth that eventually you become callous to it. And if you keep saying no, someday you may lose the opportunity to say yes. God is a gracious God. And I believe in His infinite wisdom, He gives you every possible opportunity to respond to His offer of salvation. Someday those opportunities run out there is a danger that you say no too many times. God's going to quit asking. There's also a danger for those of us who are Christians, who have made that commitment, who do identify ourselves as followers of Christ. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. We can also harden our hearts to the truth. And I'll give you two ways this happens. Number one is through sin. We can let a sin go unchecked in our life. So that it becomes continual and habitual. And this has a strangling effect on our faith. And it chokes our desire for truth. Listen to this stark warning from Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin deceives you, and that hardens your heart. But another thing that happens, it's not just a heart thing, is our thinking can be taken captive by deception that sounds like it's truth, but it isn't. This is what we've been talking about for the last couple of Sunday nights on the Truth Project. About how our thinking as Christians can be taken captive And if you haven't been yet, I really encourage you to come on on Sunday night. These are really good sessions. We've got babysitting here, so the kids aren't an issue. The last week, this verse was the verse that we talked about. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world than on Christ. So sin and worldly philosophy can deceive us. And once we're in the grip of that deception, we can become incapable of seeing the truth for what it is. The truth will be concealed from us because we haven't loved the truth. We haven't held on to the truth. We haven't been faithful to the truth. And I think this is why we are seeing large numbers of so-called Christians and so-called churches in our country abandon biblical Christianity. We are seeing churches and Christians who wear the label of Christian, but they are giving up things that Christianity has taught and believed for 2000 years because they have been taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. They have been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It has the polish of truth. But it is built on nothing but human ideas and spiritual darkness. The truth is concealed. But praise God, that's not the whole story. Because parables don't just conceal the truth. Jesus also says they reveal the truth. You see, to those that are hungering for the truth, the parables present a buffet. To those that are thirsting for understanding, the parables are a fountain of wisdom. To those that are hurting, they are a healing balm. To those who are lost and can't find their way, they are a guiding light. Parables reveal the truth because they show the connection between the earthly and the spiritual. It's easy for us to think of spiritual truth as something mysterious and abstract. Jesus... In His parables, teaches God's truth in terms that are every day and down to earth and here and now. And so to those that are seeking the truth, I believe the parables act as both a mirror and a window. They are like a mirror in that they help us see ourselves for who we really are. They reveal what really lies deep within our hearts. They help us understand our lost condition without Christ. They help us gauge how much we really love God. Parables are like a window and they help us see God for who He really is. In the parables, we see the great reach of His grace, the great breadth of His love, the great depth of His mercy. We see His compassion on the one hand, yet His righteous judgment on the other. The parables will not let us worship God as we want Him to be. He will not be the God of our own choosing. We must see Him as He is. And and that's what the parables do. In uh, In the parables, the nature of our Heavenly Father is revealed through the words and actions of an earthly father. The Heavenly King is revealed through an earthly king. Over these next several weeks, I invite you to join us on this journey of discovery as we explore the amazing, life-changing parables of Jesus. And it is my prayer that you will find your own story in the stories of Jesus. Because these aren't just old stories from 2,000 years ago about people who fished using nets and they planted their crops by scattering seed on the soil. These are stories about your life and my life. They're stories about what we're dealing with today. These are stories that will change your life. Earlier in the sermon, I said that parables had two different audiences. And which audience you were in depended entirely upon the attitudes and expectations of your heart. And so as we come to a close this morning, the question we've got to ask ourselves is simply this, which audience am I in? Am I in the audience from whom the truth is concealed? Or am I hungering for the truth? Am I searching for the truth so that the truth might be revealed to me? What is your relationship to the truth of God? You see, the same message awakens one but hardens another. They melt the ice but harden the clay.